Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement, and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by a, I, I was going to say, I prepped my intro, I was going to say Silicon Valley legend because, Rob, because of your your work history. And then I, I, I ch- double-checked by going through your LinkedIn profile before to check if you were actually in Silicon Valley because you have these massive company names on your profile eBay, etc., yep. Yahoo. Um, but I wasn't sure if you were in Silicon Valley at that time. Were you? I was in Silicon Valley, not at the time of eBay. That was when I was first out of college and had no idea what was going on in the world. <laughs> uh, but I spent time at Yahoo and at McKesson, which is a big pharmaceutical uh, distribution company in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And I lived down in Los Gatos area. Got it. So I just completely derailed my intro. But the reason I say that, so well, I can actually say in the intro now that Rob is a Silicon Valley legend. So we are, we do have these kinds of names on Rob's profile. But actually, more recently and perhaps more relevant here is Sales Ops Director Crawltricks, which I, well, I, I'm aware I went through insane growth. I think when you were there, Rob, and then now today VP of Sales Ops and GTM Strategy at Zant. So Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks. Excited to be on here. So, first of all, I want to. Uh, I, I'm always really interested in how people come into sales ops because I know that you had, I think, back uh, either at Yahoo or eBay, it was product management, and then there was a switch at one point where you, and I think it was either McKesson or Qualtrics, where you moved into sales ops. The question I have is why. Sure. Yeah, I actually did start out. Um, you know. Even more humble than that, I actually started out in uh, customer support. And then at eBay, because eBay was so fast growing, it afforded me the opportunity to jump into more of a product type of a role, still helping out our customers, still helping out the customer success teams, building out tools and the processes that were needed for that side of the organization. Then I went to graduate school and did uh, did consulting for a little while at a uh, strategy and management firm called Archstone. And then that's how I actually got into uh, McKesson, which is where my first actual taste of sales operations began. 
uh, it was very different because, you know, in a big pharmaceutical company, you have deal sizes that are insane. You have, you know, selling cycles that are years long and you have, uh, you know, margins that are just uh, tiny, uh, oddly enough. And so sales operations there was largely centered around a transformation project that we, that we did to help sales become more organized, become more focused and more, um, you know, special projects to help them target better, uh, in a very capped and succinct market. But that was my first taste of kind of an operations and sales operations experience. And what I loved was being on the revenue side instead of being on a cost center that, you know, really was critical, but not bringing in revenue. Revenue is where it's at. It's so fun and it's demanding and it's exciting and you, you live and die. And the next day, you know, you, you, you hit your, your number one quarter. The next day, it doesn't matter. It, you start over. And so just that continuous, the clock starts again and you're always just, you can never let your guard down. And I love that. So, um, really cut my teeth, uh, under a great VP of, of sales operations named Eric Davis at McKesson at the time. And then was probably a little cocky and thought that I could just easily translate that over into the SaaS world. Uh, Austin Bankhead, I think who's been on your podcast before, yeah. uh, brought me in, brought me into Qualtrics. Uh, when Qualtrics, when our, our sales ops team was just nascent and just starting up, I think we had four people, including Austin. And, um, so we slogged together and kind of learned together what it means to do sales operations and bring kind of an operational rigor into a SaaS company that was in just hyper growth mode. And Qualtrics was definitely in hyper growth mode at that time. Um, a lot of learning. Uh, I think I've listened to the podcast, Boston's a bunch of mistakes that we made, but just so much learning that we did. And uh, really from there, I was able to parlay that over into where I am now at Zant. And Zant, I don't know if you noticed, but Zant uh, rebranded itself about a year and a half ago. We used to be InsideSales.com, which was one of the forerunners of you know, modern selling and, you know, really getting into intelligence-based sales. Uh, so that's where we are now. And I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I actually wasn't aware that InsideSales.com rebranded to Zad, but I think it makes sense. You guys, it's almost like Inside Sales is like the category slash sales type of sales now. And it was, it was a bit confusing. I was confused at one time, but that, that makes total sense. And thanks for giving the overview of the journey. I want to take one thing out that I read on your LinkedIn profile as well, Rob, which was about sure. your mention that sales are your customers. Could you elaborate a bit more about what you mean by that and why you think that is important if it is uh, in sales ops? It's absolutely critical. In fact, um, if there's one thing that I would love for your uh, listeners to take away from this is that, you know, my mantra, what I've been trying to teach my teams uh, that have been in sales operations for, well, for a long time now, Qualtrics and here, is that sales success is our success, right? You cannot be a successful revenue operations or sales operations team and pat yourself on the back if your sales teams aren't hitting their numbers, right? So our whole job, our whole reason for being is to help them be successful, right? And I love it. If a salesperson comes to me and says, Rob, I'm a president's club because you guys helped me with enablement and messaging and you helped me with targeting and I didn't have an idea of what to, to do for territory management and you guys helped me with that, makes my whole day. And, and for that reason, I love to actually have my team, when we can, be physically located right next to the sales teams. Makes total sense. And it's uh, that is a 
it's almost like that's, that's a testimonial you would get from a customer and you would put that on the wall inside the sales ops uh, meeting office. Um, Right. Really ha- having a focus just as Amazon does on their customers. I totally agree. Now, ne- next question. Looking at your work at McKesson, and actually you, before that, your consulting work, it seems like you were, it was like a fixed project where you were going in and improving something. Now, my question is, like, can we then split sales ops into two areas where you have these kind of discrete projects, improvement projects, versus the kind of BAU stuff. Like how, um, mm-hmm. like if, if that line clear and like, can we split sales ops into those two areas? And then today as Zant, like how do you delineate between those two types of work? That's a great question. Absolutely. I think you can. In fact, I think you should. So business as usual, just so you guys, uh, and maybe your listeners can understand how I think about it. You know, you have, if you think of like uh, a regular sales an annual calendar, right? You have certain things that have to happen in order for sales to be functioning like clockwork. You have to have territory and coverage design. You have to have comp planning. You have to have, you know, uh, new hire onboarding and training. You have to have forecast calls. All these things are the things that are just table stakes for a good revenue operations team, right? Um, in addition to that, uh, you're going to have times where you have different challenges that you don't expect, like COVID-19, for example. COVID-19 comes along, absolutely obliterates your customer pipeline because nobody wants to spend any money at the moment. Everybody's changed their selling motion. And so you have these different challenges. And so obviously, I believe that that second uh, layer of discipline, which is you know project management, that's where sales ops and rev ops can come into play in a great fashion. Sales ops people are naturally analytical, typically. <clears throat> A lot of times, what I like to do is I like to have people who are very familiar with sales. Ideally, it would be great if they had carried a bag themselves or had a quota so they can understand because you have to have that kind of empathy. And it, it's a rare thing to have an analytical person who's also empathetic with the plight of sales. So many people think that sales are just the people that come in and are the relationship managers, and then they have their sales engineer, and they have their proposal writing team, and they have their... You know, SDRs finding leads and, and, you know, what does sales actually do? And people have that mindset of why are they getting all these big commissions when I'm working on a salary? It's not the case. In sales, it's feast or famine and it's easy to go into a famine. Very easy to go into a famine. So, so we work together. And I think one of the things we do at that is we use, um, kind of, we use OKRs, uh, objectives and key results, right? It's a kind of a Google, uh, takeaway. <clears throat> and what we do is, we put it into a uh, kind of a four-quarter roadmap for ourselves, if you will, of here are the targets that we're gunning towards. Here's the sales quotas. Here's our company revenue number. Here's our retention number. Here are renewals and all that kind of thing. And then we start looking at the leading indicators to say, are we going to hit this or not? You know, so many people in, in sales ops and analytics look at the lagging indicators like win-loss rates. You're too late. If you're looking at win-loss rates, you're too late, right? You look at leading indicators and then you start building projects around, okay, what do we do with that? So it actually, the challenge is that, is that it makes it pretty difficult when you have a small sales ops team and they have to function on their business as usual day jobs and projects to keep the ship uh, upright. Yeah, I, that's, that's the best way, I think, to define what the improvement projects are, is to have the leading indicators and say, this project... Uh, we're going to spend six weeks on trying to improve number of 
email sent per rep per day or something. And for that, that's, uh, I, I totally agree. That, that for sure is how people should define those projects. And then, yeah, I also agree that the, there's probably a resourcing discussion to have with leadership. If you are in a small sales ops team and all you can do is BAU and you don't feel like sales ops is really bringing the value that it can do, in which case you need to go to leadership and justify the fact that they should invest in more. And then part of that proposal, I suggest, is that you're going to be working on these performance improvement projects versus just BAU. If the, would you say yeah. that's? Oh, that's true. It's easier said than done, Tom, because you know typically you want to have a lean and mean sales operations or revenue operations machine. You have because people will look at it and say, "Why do you need a team of ten people supporting fifty sales and CSM team people?" Right? And they look at ratios. And I get it. As an analytical person, I get it. Those ratios are important, but they don't tell the whole story because one of the biggest challenges is that the concept of revenue operations is new and evolving very quickly. It used to just be sales ops was rules of engagement, territories and coverage, and maybe a little bit of compensation design, right? Now you have things like uh, sales enablement and, and training. You have You do have coverage. You have sales systems. You have analytics, uh, you have deal desk, <clears throat> all of these things can and, sh- and I think should be wrapped under a centralized uh, revenue operations engagement or a function, right? But people don't understand that that requires more headcount. And so then you run into the problem of, sa- of them saying you're too, you're too top heavy or you're too big. So mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a delicate dance. You have to be careful with it. But overall, I think you do have to make the case that, you know, we're not just a bunch of spreadsheet jockeys here. We actually have uh, a lot of legitimate insights, particularly when people have carried a number themselves. And and then that can be done in partnership with the sales teams. Because if they carry the number themselves, then of course they, have, they should have a better understanding of the customer. Next question. Definitely. What would you say is the number one most important thing you learned about sales ops when going through the, the hyper growth environment at Qualtrics? It has to be done in lockstep with sales leadership, um, because if there is any kind of perception, if there's any kind of perception that sales ops doesn't understand or is disconnected from what sales is going through, what you'll have is what I call organ rejection. You'll throw out territories, and what you end up with is six months worth of sales leaders just fighting about why why is this account over here, why is this account over here, and, and you get into segmentation battles. You can work together. To build these things out in advance, you're ahead of the game. Caveat or or one corollary to that is that it actually takes a lot of advanced planning to be able to do that. You cannot just start a new year, a new fiscal year, and then say, okay, let's get our rules of engagement and our territories locked down. If you try to do that, you'll be three months into the year before you're finished, right? So what I tell my team is part of that business as usual is starting Q3. Q3 needs to be when you're doing a data quality refresh. You're refreshing all of your account firmographic data. You're refreshing your, your contacts in there. Your CRM data needs to be tight and updated. Q4 is then when you say, okay, now let's take a look at the, the changed value of territories based on our new account firmographic data. How do territories need to shift? Who's been successful, successful who hasn't? Where is a new team going to be put into place? And you start you know, modeling out territories with the sales leaders. So that when you have your SKO, your sales kickoff on day one of the new year, you're ready to go. Here's your territory. Here's your number. 
here's the valuation of your accounts. So just quit your bitching and let's let's get to it, right? And, and so did you learn that the hard way at Qualtrics? Not pointing any fingers <laughs> anywhere, of course. We we learned it the hard way. Uh, and I hope, forgive the language, but we got our asses kicked a few times at Qualtrics. So, um, and it was good because like I said, we were learning at the same time and the sales teams hadn't, you know, it was the wild, wild west over there. So they were, a com- they were used to just whoever got their name on the account first, whoever called, you know, looked them up in the yellow pages first, got the account, right? And so it was chaos, pure chaos. And they were successful at it. They are very good salespeople over at Qualtrics. Um, but just bringing that level of organization and rigor, it was a process. And so without strong sales leadership who were, you know, seeing what we did, working with us, and then messaging it to the teams with accountability, I think, you know, would still be unsuccessful over there if that hadn't happened. So try to, yeah, I, I try to do that. And, and sometimes I succeed and sometimes I fail of, with having a, a strong relationship with sales leaders, but I do try. Yeah, so my next question was, do you then have a regular lunch in the calendar with the CRO or with the head of sales at Sant? Well, yes. Uh, I talked to the CRO. His name is Peter Black. He's a, amazing. Um, I talked to him probably, if not every day, probably every other day at least. Um, it helps that I report into him. Okay. Uh, but, but at the same time, even if we didn't, uh, we have a really strong working relationship you talked about initiatives. Uh, you know, we've put together this whole list of initiatives that we can do to, to help us out, help out the company. And then we go through and we make sure that they're always updated and as well as all of the standard sales ops things. Sure. Final question before we move into the, the final stages of the interview. Looking into 2021, are there any tips you would give sales ops slash rev ops people listening about forecasting for 2021? Um, take, bearing in mind the last nine months and what they might have done to people's uh, numbers. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, forecasting is uh, something I strongly believe in, by the way. Uh, it, and it's, it is an art and a science. And I think too many people rely on, the, on just kind of guessing a little bit. But to me, uh, it all starts with understanding your, your sales RVPs need to be having a regular pipeline discussions with their sales reps their sales reps, in addition to just, you know, having a standard sales progression through sales stages in, in Salesforce, um, you know, they need to have the ability to put their own manager judgment on things. There's their own judgment on an opportunity. And then the, uh, the RVPs, the sales leaders need to be able to say, after they listen to that, they need to be able to put their own manager judgment and put their own commit number. So if they say, you know what, I'm going to be over my skis and be aggressive on this opportunity. You're calling it best case. I'm going to call it commit. Let's get it. And then the trick is regular forecasts where they're calling their number and you're holding them to it. And then what I like to do is I try to have the, so at the beginning of the quarter, the goal is to be, you know, forecast within 30% plus or minus of where you're actually going to end up. And then two months into the quarter with a month to go, snap the line, lock the forecast down, and they really should be within 10% of that by the time the quarter is done. Puts the onus on them to be accountable. And to really know their territories and to know their accounts. And good sales leaders do. We have great sales leaders here at Zant. And they they know their, their opportunities. And if they tell you that this is their commit, uh, one person in particular is, is great at this. He, he says, this is my commit. And I really don't think it's going to change. And 
a lot of times it doesn't. He, at the end of the quarter, he stands by his commit and, uh, you know, he's usually pretty, pretty close to it. So I think to answer your question more directly, I think what it takes is regular pipeline review, strong sales leadership uh, review of opportunities and pipeline, and then just having that regular forecast where people come to the table with an accountability level for, for calling their number. Awesome. That's, that was a, a quite a straightforward and simple look at the forecasting process, which I think the audience are going to appreciate. Now, final question, and possibly the most important in the whole interview is, which person in the world of sales slash RevOps would you most like to take for lunch? That's a great question. And um, so, because I, uh, by the way, I think I need to take it, uh, you know, you need to redefine your, your term legend when you start introducing me as a Silicon Valley legend. That's, you know, that's way off. Uh, I've learned a ton from a lot of real legends, uh, starting out with actual, um, you know, sales methodology leaders like Brent Adamson and, and the Challenger sale, right? So I've had the chance to meet Matt Dixon. Uh, he came to and did a, a sales kickoff with us at Qualtrics, and it was amazing just to hear him talk. Uh, so that's fantastic to hear how they think about sales process and how they think about the buyer's journey and sales needs to understand the buyer's journey. Um, probably one of the, uh, the more influential people, two people, one is Steve Silver. He is a VP of research direct uh, of research at uh, Forrester. And he actually really gave me a lot of great insight into what normal business as usual sales operations looks like. Uh, because like I said, at Qualtrics, we kind of built our own uh, through trial and error. So actually having somebody come in and say, well, this is what you know normal looks like in the industry was really quite helpful. So I'd love to sit down with Steve uh, a lot longer and, and uh, take him to lunch. The other person is Rafe Vandenberg. Rafe is the uh, managing director or the founder of a little website called Selling Brew. And it is all about sales operations. And they have a ton of great insight into there. Um, he doesn't know I exist, but I know he exists. So I would love to take him to lunch and just pick his brain about a lot of things. Amazing, Rob. Thank you so much for that. I mean, it's very dense. I think we got a lot of information in just over 20 minutes there. Um, it's really good to... I always love bringing on people that have been recommended or know other people that we've had on. And Austin, as you mentioned, um, was also really good. So it, it was great to have you on, Rob. Thank you so much for coming and sharing all your wisdom. I, I think we're going to be titling this episode and we'll finish with this, Building a Lean Mean sales operations machine. And that's a direct quote from you from this episode. So Rob, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.